0: Welcome back or welcome to if it's your first time listening to Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press, I'm Jonathan Foster. Today I am honored to be joined by retired Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Witt Makorsky, who asked me to call him Witt. And I do, even though it feels weird, I feel like I should be respectful and call him Lieutenant Colonel, but I honor his wishes. Witt has a new book coming out called The War for Missouri, 1861-1862, which will be available beginning April 27, 2020. Missouri was filled with bitter sentiment over the Civil War. Governor Claiborne Jackson had a plan to seize the St. Louis arsenal and arm a pro-secessionist force. Former governor and Mexican-American war hero Sterling Price commanded the Missouri State Guard, and he was charged to protect the state from federal troops. The disagreements led to 10 military actions causing hundreds of casualties before the first bull run in the East. The State Guard garnered a series of victories before losing control to the Union in 1862. Guerrilla and bushwhacker bands roamed the state at will. Author Joseph W. McCorsky Jr. details the fight for the show-me state. Joseph W. McCorsky Jr. is a Midwest native who graduated from the Virginia Military Institute and subsequently served in the United States Army for 28 years. Retiring as a lieutenant colonel After more than 25 years as a Midwest banking executive Witt was hired to become an instructor in leadership and American military history For the Army ROTC program at Illinois State University And the University of Missouri Witt and his wife have two sons, Brian and Robert And reside in Fulton, Missouri Where he currently spends some of his time as a volunteer tour guide At the National Churchill Museum Well, Witt, thank you for joining me (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: All right. So I want to start off by saying when you watch, and I was growing up watching the documentary on the Civil War, or even today, sometimes on C SPAN 3 with History TV, they do on the weekend or lecture on TV. um, What you have more often than not on the subject, and this is why I really like your book because it digs into the history, or what I like to call a deep dive into history, uh, especially if the subject's on the beginning of the war, it seems to focus on the East. Um in the Western yep. Theater, which is areas west of the Appalachian Mountains, is is the Western Theater. And, you know, it wasn't until I was a kid, and we my family I grew up west of or excuse me, south of Atlanta, but we would go to Chattanooga and if it wasn't for those trips, I wouldn't know about the Civil War in Chattanooga or one of the bigger battles of the Civil War at Chickamauga. I wouldn't know about these battles unless I went there. So this book you've written And you've co-authored another book on the subject, but specifically this book is The War for Missouri, 1861 to 1862. And you give an in-depth, important look into how the state begins to tear itself apart, really at the top levels. But before we get into that, do you feel that the Eastern Theater has gotten more attention? And if you do, why?
1: Well, I I think uh, historically it has. Uh, you've had because you had so many those epic battles like Antietam and Gettysburg, you know, even First Bull Run, um, and in the in the West there was so much written focused on more of the guerrilla operations of Quantrill and Anderson um, that tended to I think overtake the literary uh, books that were that were being written. And so I, I'm not the first, but I, I think I'm part of a group of authors, historians in the West who have tried to focus on, focus the reading audience on how critical the West was, particularly in the first two to three years of the war. And that had, um, uh, Grant not have been in a position to, um, uh, take uh, Vicksburg in the middle of 1863, there may have not been any, any reason to bring him back to the east because he's the one that finally defeated Robert E. Lee. And so the war, the victory for the north and to keep the country as a union rested on the fact that they could take control of the west, cut the south in half by seizing control of the Mississippi River, right? And then that allowed them to focus their resources on uh, Tennessee and then launching Sherman's expedition to basically tear the South in half. Right?
0: Yeah, so I mean but yes when you talk about Grant and we'll get into Grant a little bit more, I mean that's where he it seems he really gets to cut his teeth and become the grant we all get to see um, in Missouri. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But earlier, I alluded to the state beginning to tear itself apart at the top. And when I said that, I had in mind Governor uh, Claiborne Jackson and along with Francis Blair Jr. Now, the governor is pro-South, and Blair is a Republican and very wary about where Missouri would end up, in the Confederacy or with the Union. Why is Missouri... So important to both the North and the South
1: uh, well several several reasons uh, number one, it is geographically located in the center of the country. If you look at all the western trails that went west, they all pretty much had the uh, immigrants traveled down from St. Louis, the Missouri River to Kansas City. And then the Santa Fe, California, Oregon trails all were launched from that launching site. So the, the immigration itself, right, uh, was a big factor for Missouri being important. It also, Missouri was the largest agricultural production of any state west of the Mississippi River. It had a huge resources of iron, copper, uh, mines, provided all the armaments and ammunition that they would need for conducting the war. And Missouri also had the most railroad miles of any state west of the Mississippi River. And so it really served as, even the latter part of the war, a major uh, logistics resource For the war as it moved east um, into Tennessee and then eventually Atlanta.
0: Now, John C. Fremont is going to be given command of the Department of the West, and before he gets on the scene, I want to talk about General Lyons. And he becomes in, and it feels like when you're reading it, and it, it is, and it's really well written, it really puts you there, and, it's, and it feels like St. Louis is a powder keg, um, basically. Can you talk about those riots a little bit and what leads up to that?
1: Uh, sure. Um, well, Claiborne Jackson, as you mentioned earlier, was, um, he, he was a, clearly a self-proclaimed secessionist. Uh, he was part of the the slaveholding um, um, aristocracy in the Little Dixie region of, of Missouri. And he intended to take Missouri into the South as uh, into the Confederacy. Right? And he had kind of surreptitiously, though, become governor riding on the coattails of Stephen Douglas. And he was as a a pro-slavery, but keep everybody in the union type of politician. And so he cleverly disguised that, was able to become elected governor, and then immediately launched into taking a pro-Southern legislature uh, and getting them to agree to seceding from the South, I mean, from the North. And that uh, was his plan. Unfortunately the legislature overwhelmingly voted to stay in the union. They believed that they could stay out of the war, they wanted nothing to do with the war and their sentiments they could still retain their be a slaveholding state and not get involved. Unfortunately that was misguided because Lincoln had no intentions of allowing Missouri to stay out of the war as a slave state.
0: Yes, and they're the The riots that occur mm. with this,
1: uh... yeah, yeah. Let me, let me. I didn't finish your uh, question there. The, the, and so this was kind of the sentiments. And as the nation moved more and more towards war with Fort Sumter, uh, it also in Missouri was starting to break out into a more of a violent contest of who would prevail. There was first a um, a um, an arsenal in Liberty, Missouri, was seized by a pro-Southern militia. Uh, so it, it was not just necessarily St. Louis, but it also mm-hmm. started on the western side of the state. But eventually, what happened was Jackson was going to have to take it under his own uh, devices to take Missouri into the South. And so he called out the local militia for training uh, in an area near St. Louis. Lyon, who had just recently been put in command of the federal forces in um, St. Louis, uh, had gotten wind that Jackson had other intentions than just usual kind of uh, annual training. And so he formed a militia with the assistance of Francis Blair uh, St. Louis had a large German ethnic uh, constituency. He uh, joined up with much of the militia and he will take them and surround this camp called Camp Jackson and basically uh, force them to either take loyalty oaths or he was going to march them down into prison uh, there in St. Louis. And of course, that uh, event, as they were marching down through St. Louis uh, with basically a militia that's that's untrained, uh, and a large, uh, vocally uh, upset civilian population of what was happening, created incident during that uh, movement in St. Louis that broke out into a um, a riot. Uh, dozens of civilians were killed or wounded. There were retaliations against many of the German, uh, ethnic, uh, soldiers with Lyon. And so he had to bring in federal troops to kind of settle things down. And, but that was kind of the lightning rod uh, of violence that, uh, then expanded into a deliberate attempt by Jackson and his supporters to uh, break free from the the Union and form their own army. And I can elaborate on that a little bit more if you
0: want. No, sir. I want people to if, to grab the book and read it because it actually kind of leads in. Because it sounds, you know, Lyons to me in this book is, is an interesting character. And, in, you know, his story, you know, where it ends up, to me, I feel like Lyons can really be one of the what ifs of the civil war because you always have these what ifs in history that people ask uh, about different generals or commanders, yeah. you know, and it, of course in the Eastern but, theater is always, what if Stonewall Jackson would have been at Gettysburg? You know, that's the most popular one probably here in the Eastern theater. But for lions, do you think, what do you, I mean, it seems like to me reading the book, reading about this man, Wilson's Creek, I feel like was maybe a loss for the Union when they lose him at Wilson's Creek, or with you know the results of Wilson's Creek.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, okay. well, there's there's a series of he had contests. some
0: successes up until that point. Lions did,
1: yes, yeah, yeah. There there's there was a success as a, a violent contest that brings um, uh, not only lion and the Confederate army and the Missouri state guard to a major contest at Wilson's Creek. right? Uh, and it represents one of, of about three major uh, battles in the very first year of the war, right. That established the Missouri state guard, which is their Confederate ally, right. As a force to be reckoned with. Uh, and as a force that could do what Jackson wants done, and that is take Missouri into the Confederacy. And it starts basically with, after those riots, there was attempts to kind of work out some kind of agreement to where, um, well, let me back up here. The state legislature, after those riots, was extremely um, uh, disturbed by this violent outbreak. And so they um, basically went in basically approved the formation of a state militia called the Missouri State Guard for the governor to take control of. And they would appoint Sterling Price, a former governor and Mexican war hero, as the commander in chief to form this army. And at that point in time, Lyons saw them a direct threat to his federal control. He established a meeting. Uh, That meeting did not go well. There was not able to find a common ground for how it could serve the state as well as the federal army. And Lyon basically uh, ended the meeting and threw them out, forced them to flee back to Jeff City, the capital. And so that really then started the... uh, increasing uh, violence to led to the first, really the first battle of civil war at the battle of Boonville. Lionel take his federal army, pursue Jackson Price and the Missouri state guard followers down the Mississippi, up the Mississippi river to Jeff city. And then they will further take their forces up into the Boonville area, which had a high concentration of pro Southern uh, sentiment uh, population, and there the first battle of Boonville will occur uh, in um, June of um, 1861, which is arguably the first battle in the Civil War.
0: Hmm. And it's a crazy thing uh, I think people don't realize about Missouri and I don't think I really fully appreciate so much, especially when you think on the border states is, you know, South Carolina in December of 1860, obviously first ACC, it was voted on right here in Charleston. And then you have other states in the deep South that vote into it, you know, into 1861, uh, Virginia didn't know which way they were going to go. They voted into it, but this is an internal actual, you know, bloody battles happening in the Missouri, to decide which way this state is going to go, north or south.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's the Northern Press uh, is actually, it's kind of interesting, have a lot of correspondents who are there watching these uh, events transpire. And so it's kind of interesting how quickly these events get into the Northern Press. And so this Battle of Boonville is characterized as the Boonville Races. In the Northern Press, so really the outbreak of the violence in Missouri gets a lot of attention uh, from the north and the east.
0: So, I, and one of the you know the reason why I bring up Wilson's Creek is because my my brother was stationed in Missouri for a bit. Um, he actually had basic training, and then he's stationed there for a, a little bit later on during his time of service, and actually still in the service now. Um, He's, you know, big Civil War buff. So if there's a battlefield around, he's going to learn about it and, you know, maybe very interested in it. We grew up uh, learning history. Thankfully, my father was very history-oriented. Um, but it's just Wilson's Creek itself. It's, in reading the book, you know, I got to more understand about it. What about... And it's something you said in the the version of the manuscript. I don't have the final manuscript. The version of the manuscript that I have of yours, uh, you wrote the history attempts to remind military leaders that in the early stages of a conflict, good or an even brilliant plans often go astray. And a lot of times when you go to visit a battlefield, it's not until you're on the field itself, you can understand what happened. So what is it about Wilson's Creek, be it the position of the Confederates or the lay of the land itself? was or should have been fortuitous for the Federals. And then what happened? What went wrong?
1: Um, Well, after Boonville, uh, the uh, Missouri State Guard and Governor Jackson, uh, Sterling Price, uh, (laughs) basically knew that, well, and and at Boonville, they were badly defeated, okay? They were not really prepared for a a force-on-force engagement uh, the federal army was much better prepared. It also had uh, river gunboats, which could fire on the, the Missouri State Guards. So they had they fled Boonville uh, very quickly after that engagement. There, there were some casualties, not overwhelming, but you know there there were several killed and wounded. But they immediately uh, felt that they had to link up with a larger Confederate force in order to be able to, you know, conduct a contest against a organized federal army. So they fled towards the southwestern portion of Missouri and uh, moving down along, I'd say, towards the Kansas border near the town of Carthage, A another federal army was moving down there about that same time, and they met at the town of Carthage. And so those were the first a large force-on-force engagement there at Carthage. The Missouri State Guard, uh, with half of its troops really unarmed, unprepared though, was still able to prevail the federal force under uh, Colonel Franz Siegel, a former St. Louis uh, German uh, superintendent of schools, was forced to uh, withdraw in that battle and retreat towards Springfield. At the same time, uh, Lyons, with the bulk of the Federal Army, was moving down towards southwestern Missouri, uh, pursuing the Missouri State Guard, linked up with Siegel at Springfield. So now you have a large Federal Army at Springfield, and you have Sterling Prices uh, and Jackson's Missouri State Guard, right? Linking up with a Confederate force coming up from Arkansas commanded by, uh, General McCulloch. And that force, alright, will end up being around 10 to 1,000 men. Lyon's forces around 5 to 6,000, alright. And they will start kind of maneuvering on each other, figuring out each other's strength and what will happen next. And that's kind of the events leading up to Wilson's Creek. You want me to keep going on?
0: Yeah, if you don't, if, yes, sir, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, okay. So then um, um, as the Lions patrols are running into larger and larger forces of Confederate Missouri State Guard troops, they then recognize they're facing a much superior force, about two to one um ratio of southern forces against the uh, federal army. And Fremont right, has been at, he's kind of just shortly taken over the Department of the West, headquartered in St. Louis. Department of the West it was a large uh, geographic area, pretty much everything west of the uh, Appalachian Mountains, you know, the states of Um, Tennessee, Missouri, Iowa, were all Fremont's responsibility. And so he was really just kind of figuring out what his, the extent of his uh, requirements, responsibilities were. And Lyon was calling for reinforcements. And Fremont basically said, on more than one occasion, I don't have reinforcements to give you. That's uh, been denied. Subjects to debate by historians. Uh, and he says, you're on your own. I suggest you withdraw back up to Rolla before you get into a major engagement. And that was their their intent until um, they recognized they had some issues. Right? Number one was the enlistments of many of the federal soldiers were soon to expire. Mm. Uh, the other thing was that the Confederate uh, forces, all right, they had them you know, grouped in one location and that if they wanted to take a battle to them, well, here is the time. And so that was what was going on with the Federal Forces. And so instead of withdrawing, they decided uh, to try and launch a surprise attack on Jackson's army of, with the Missouri State Guard and the Confederate Forces. Well, about the same time, the Confederate forces had learned that the Federal Army was, was thinking of withdrawing back up to Rolla. And so they started moving towards Springfield, uh, hoping to catch them in a position where their superior uh, forces would be able to engage and defeat that Federal Army. And and so as these two forces were kind of moving together each other, uh, the weather forced Price, and McCulloch to bed down their soldiers that night along Wilson's Creek, uh, just southwest of Springfield, to keep their powder dry. And that provided the opportunity for Lyon and his uh, forces to attempt an early morning surprise attack uh, on the Confederate forces. And so that's kind of how Wilson's Creek became the geographic location for that battle. Wow. And so, and it, so it then be, was a, was a, um, really the really first major battle west of the Mississippi river. Uh, it was an all day long uh, contest. Lion was killed early in the mid morning, launching a counterattack. Um, the, 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 Federal forces eventually had to withdraw, uh, you know, without getting into too much detail, some of the events that occurred that caused the Union forces to, to lose the battle. Um, but what was the first, what was what the real stark, uh, message of this conflict was the casualties. The Union army had suffered, uh, Twenty percent of its forces casualties. So the 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 scale casualties were actually worse than what was suffered percentage wise than first Bull Run. Mm-hmm. Neither force had planned for that. There was only two Union ambulances. So they're basically stacking bodies and wounded on wagons and hauling them into the local uh, into Springfield and just dropping them off at homes to be cared for. Um, so it, it was a devastating blow to the federal forces, but a very encouraging contest for the Confederacy and Missouri State Guard that perhaps they could uh, successfully regain control of Missouri and, and bring it into the, the uh, Confederacy.
0: And of course, you know, we have to talk about John Fremont a little bit, famous for exploring the West, the Oregon Trails associated with him, the Path the Transcontinental Railroad as well. Oh, yeah. When the first battle... Of yeah, Lex- I,
1: feel- I, I didn't realize until I'd done the research on this that it wasn't for him and all his exploration, the Rocky Mountains, very few of the settlers would have known what routes to take to go through the Rocky Mountains.
0: Yes, I mean, he was, you know, he's, uh, you know, from the south, fights from the north, Uh, just uh, an interesting character all around. But when the first Battle of Lexington occurs or the Battle of Hempbells, because any civil war, you know, anybody who's casually interested in the civil war knows that, you know, you're a threat to have two names for the same battle. would, uh, Mm Would you say it's a huge blow to Fremont and that's what leads him down the path to declaring martial law?
1: Yeah, this, this this is the part that I, I would say in Missouri is probably the focus of the most bitter sentiment, and it leads to other depredations that occur later in the war that still resonates in the culture today. Um, and that's that. Uh, Fremont finds he he, he demands expects the population to be loyal to the North, right? And so he will, uh, at Lincoln's uh, great concern, will basically announce his own emancipation, right? Basically, anybody who is not loyal to the Union, (laughs) they can lose their, um, uh, their resources, their weapons, their slaves, or whatever, and this becomes a great concern to Lincoln because he needs to keep Missouri loyal or at least out of the, the war from a standpoint of a, politically. And he and this will be really the first big clash between Fremont and Lincoln that eventually leads to Fremont's removal. Uh, and actually, Fremont's wife gets involved. She's the daughter of, uh, of Senator. Thomas Hart Benton, very influential uh, Republican senator, and she goes east to basically pontificate to Lincoln why her husband is in the right to do this. Europeans will find this a major uh, decision by her husband and will bring the war to a quick conclusion and uh, Lincoln is is not happy with this uh, course of events. He basically listens to her politely, and then sends her back home. And of course, she announces to her husband. No one's uh, recognizes his wisdom uh, in this matter, and he becomes uh, further of a a, a, a further uh, nuisance to how Lincoln wants to run the war effort.
0: Yeah, just uh, he's he's an interesting character, and there's so much more to his story even before the Civil War, too. Uh, too much to get into in the, in the short time that we have. But, yeah, it's just one of the many reasons for people to uh, pick up the book. And we you know, we can't talk about every battle or skirmish in the time we have, but we must touch on, at least. The Battle of Pea Ridge, also, a.k.a. Elk's Tavern, March 7th through 8th, 1862. The Battle of fought in Arkansas, but if you could give us, give us a quick summary or let us know why it's so important for the future of Missouri during the Civil War.
1: Yeah, so we're coming to the end of 1861. Uh, Missouri State Guards have uh, been very successful after Wilson's Creek. It marched up north, seized the town of Lexington. um The Jayhawk forces of James Lane, uh, Jennison, all become a uh, a part of the terrible uh, raiding that goes along the border of Kansas into Missouri. Uh, The war starts to really becoming drawing the whole population into this kind of quagmire, but and Lincoln gets impatient. He's got all this this army, this large army, but we're not doing anything. And so he issues a directive to his commanders uh, in, the, in the West and the East to go on the offensive by Washington's birthday. And so Fremont, who had been pra- replaced by a, a well-regarded uh, Union officer, General Henry Halleck, uh, sends a General Samuel Curtis Down through into southwest Missouri, and his mission is to drive the Missouri State Guard and Confederate forces out of Missouri and then also uh, start to take control of northwestern Arkansas, where their forces are, main forces are located. And this event will culminate after a series of small battles and skirmishes at the Battle of Pea Ridge. Uh, Confederate General um, Earl Van Dorn is tasked with the job of putting together a combined force, the Missouri State Guard and Confederate forces, and meet this Union threat. And this will happen um, basically at a place called Pea Ridge. Um, It's um, near a kind of a... Stopping off point called Elkhorn Tavern, just a very two or three miles south of the Missouri border into uh, northwestern Arkansas, and that is a basically a two-day battle. Union forces once again were outnumbered about two to one, but Earl Van Dorn had kind of rushed into. He had been given command just a, a couple weeks before the battle. He rushed into. Command immediately put his forces on the march to meet Curtis's Union forces. Um, his forces really weren't quite prepared to go into battle. Uh, he was not really truly aware of the circumstances, the terrain, and this was the dead of winter. Uh, just, just very, very uh, cold conditions, and so when these forces meet. I believe it was on February 6th in 1862 uh, near Pea Ridge. The first battle um, will uh, cause the, the very first minutes of engagement. Three of his most important senior officers are killed in some opening volleys, and that will basically right, give the Union forces now an edge in that battle. It kind of follows into the second day a little bit north of there at Elkhorn Tavern. A rested Union force is um, able to launch a successful early morning attack, disrupt the Confederate forces, and then drive them off the battlefield. And so that will be a really a key turning point to really preventing the Confederate Courses and their strategy from retaking Missouri.
0: Well, very so, very a very important time period in the book. And last question before I let you go, because uh, the manuscript I have kind of kind of left me with a cliffhanger. I got to say, uh, because I didn't have the exact completion of this, uh, but you alluded that U.S. Grant his time in the early Civil War Missouri gives us the Grant we're going to see later in the war. Can you help satisfy my curiosity? How is Missouri going to shape Grant?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's a great question. And I think that's one of the reasons studying this part of the, the, the early war in the West is important. Uh, because Grant, um, you know, his, his, when he left the Union Army, uh, he did not leave on the best conditions. His record had really been soiled. Uh, by his personal behavior, right? and on top of that, he had struggled in business as well. So this is a very low point in his life. Uh, the only thing that kind of keeps him sane is probably his his grounded is his wife Julia uh, and his family. You know, he's up there working a general store uh, with his uh, brothers and Galena. Um, but he's he kind of just kind of just eventually gets back into the war he helps with recruiting efforts organizing in illinois he's given a command of a regiment and that regiment is sent to the border town of quincy which is a railroad town to guard that town. and and there's a lot of bushwhacking uh going on up in northeastern missouri and so he is tasked to go in there and kind of bring that to a halt and so that's how he gets into Missouri. He'll spend uh, a short amount of time in Mexico, Missouri. He'll then kind of, uh, he'll be promoted to general uh, and he gets increasingly takes on more responsibility. He spends a little time in Jeff city, spends some time in Ironton, but his real break will be when he is given command of the uh, union army of South Eastern Missouri headquartered uh, in um, at Cape Girardeau and Cairo Illinois and that's about the time Fremont right who was his commander is uh, is losing favor with Lincoln he'll soon be replaced and Grant takes it on his own initiative to launch a, uh, a basically a Expeditionary Force from Cairo, Illinois, down the Mississippi River to a place called Belmont, where there is a Confederate camp located at a place called, I believe, Camp Johnson, across from the Confederate threshold, Confederate fortifications at Columbus, Kentucky. And so in early November, a pretty extensive half-day battle occurs where Grant established himself as a field commander to be respected. Uh, he successfully defeats the forces there to stop him uh, at Belmont. Uh, he loses control after the Confederate forces are driven off from their camp. He'll have to organize them, get them back on the boats, and withdraw from there as a, um, a Confederate forces counterattack from across the river. But this establishes Grant. As someone who can undertake a a large uh, for large expedition, conduct it successfully um, on his own initiative, and then that of course will then lead to him commanding the forces to go into Western Tennessee, um, seize Fort Henry, the fall of Fort Donelson, capture of large amount of troops and then in the first major bloody large-scale battle, really the largest of uh, several-scale battles in western Tennessee at Shiloh.
0: Yes. So without Missouri, we don't get Grant. We don't get Grant coming East later in the war. We don't get Chattanooga, which is in the western theater too, but without this early Missouri, we don't. So it's just... Really, the battle for Missouri is to me, you know, and especially reading, you know, the book I got, the manuscript of the book that I have read so far, and I can't wait to read the entire book. And um, when I get that chance to do so, um, is the battle for Missouri is really the battle for the nation, it feels like, when you read the book and you understand it.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad. I hope that's that's what you pulled away. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the other thing I think it's also main is is there's also several generals that are with Grant that emerge as as really extensions of his battlefield prowess. Sherman is with him. Uh, uh, his military in, intelligence officer um, is with him. You've got generals like Jefferson Davis. There, there was a Jefferson C. Davis that was... With the Union Army, um, interestingly, um, there's another one, Ostra House. All these generals are with him, and eventually command corps for Sherman when he drives uh, into the South and towards the sea. And so, really, not only was Grant uh, battlefield prowess forged and all this, but all the the top generals uh, were all fought battles, uh, really beginning in Missouri and, and uh, western Tennessee.
0: Sir, thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it.
1: Sure, hey, it's my first podcast. Hey, good, good luck. Hope everything goes well
0: with you and your wife. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. You can find Lieutenant Colonel McCorsky's books at ArcadiaPublishing.com or at your local bookstore. And while you're at ArcadiaPublishing.com, enter in your zip code to that search bar to see what books Arcadia Publishing and the History Press have on your town. Remember, if you have an idea for a book and you want to tell your local history story, reach out to Arcadia by visiting ArcadiaPublishing.com. and Scroll on down there to the bottom of the page and click the Make Me an Author link. It's the first step in writing your own history book and telling the history of your town, state, or region. If you have questions for me or episode suggestions, shoot me an email at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. As always, I want to thank my pals Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. And remember, you can visit them on Facebook at Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project. I'll talk to you soon.